Welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. I'm your host, Bailey Miles. The Building Excellence Podcast is all about sharing inspiring stories from some of the most successful athletes, coaches, business minds, and thought leaders to help you build excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. We hope this show provides you with tremendous value. If you find the show impactful, please share with a friend and on social media, as well as subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. We would greatly appreciate it. Thanks. Now let's get to the show and start building excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. Today we have Tyler Thorne on the show. Ty is the sales manager for Vivint Smart Home. He has managed over 18 million in direct sales, trained over hundreds of sales employees, and has a tremendous business mind for growing and scaling. He also hosts a podcast called The Money Game, which is all about normalizing personal finance talk and breaking down the taboo barriers around money to rebuild your relationship with money. We cover a lot of ground on the show. He talks about growing up and always having an entrepreneurship mindset. Ty also elaborates on what it looks like to scale your business and develop systems. But much more than that, he dives into what it means to take control of your life by controlling the controllables and much, much more. As you can see on the show and through his own podcast, he has a tremendous passion to help expose people to understanding the concepts of economic self-reliance and independence so that people can take control of their money and their life. This is a great show, so get your notebook ready and be prepared to take lots of notes. Enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. Today I have a special guest, Ty, Tyler Thorne with me. Ty, thanks for being here. No problem, man. Glad to, glad to be here. Listen to a bunch of the episodes and uh, obviously stoked to kind of be a part of your mission, man. Yeah, well, I love uh, your story, and I'm excited for people to get a chance to hear it. So if you wouldn't mind, kind of let's go ahead and dive right into your story and your background and what life was like growing up for you. Yeah, uh, I, I love that question because I've heard you bring this up in other podcasts. Uh, I think so many people just see where people are at and don't realize how many people came from without the connections or without the ambition, without the drive, without the education that anyone really can it's it's an exposure thing and so absolutely same like I, I grew up in Kearney Missouri uh tiny little suburb of Kansas City <laughs> there's it, it past us is farms um not a not an economic prowess by any means there's not a lot of resources or exposure to high level economics or business or entrepreneurship I was super lucky however that my father uh, is an entrepreneur. And so I had this interesting blend growing up where all my friends, my social circle was very just normal, everyday middle-class American teachers, uh, you know, factory, just worked at the local bank, just the local community jobs that I, we're all aware of. And sure. so those were all my friends. I wasn't this like elite group or anything, but then I had my family where I, my dad was pretty successful and built something from scratch, but I think that blend allowed me to kind of see what was there, but also fitting into our society and kind of our town and the culture of the Midwest. I worked my whole life. So I think growing up, one of the first things I learned to do from like 12 on my parents, you know, they made me pay for my, my school lunch. You know, you just have to take a little like lunch cards in and they put you 200 bucks down and it gives you the, the lunch pass for the next three months or whatever, I had to pay for that. So I would mow lawns, I'd do yard work. That was the first thing I started doing and then kind of built it up into, dude, this sucks. This, this land work is really hard. It's yeah. hot, it's 105 and humid and 
went into teaching swim lessons and that's kind of where I went through, through high school. Really? Yeah. So how did you get into swim lessons for mowing, mowing lawns? It just goes too hot outside. You just said, I'm going to go ahead and go oh. to the pool. <laughs> so it, it, it was literally one of these things where I'm mowing lawns and you can only mow so many lawns at once. Right. And I'm trying to scale it up in my little tiny gear head of like, how do I build this bigger? And I think, I think I've always just been wired that way a little bit mm -hmm. uh, in between sports during the year. I was super busy. So summer was kind of my time where I just, I made every dollar I could. And as I got to the point where I was driving and stuff, I had to pay insurance, I had to pay my car, I had to pay my phone, I had to pay everything I had to pay for. And I'm super grateful that my parents made me do that, even though we had the abundance and the means to not. Um, Cause it, it made me really understand the value of my time and the value of my talents. And so I pivoted from lawn mowing as I just kind of got tapped out in my ability to scale without capital, right? Like I had to buy more mowers and more gas and a truck yeah. and it was just, it was getting tough. And I had gotten injured and I grew up swimming. My mom was a swimmer. So I'd swim on swim teams. I was pretty good. Uh, just decided, Hey, you know, we got this pool in the backyard. Like, there's zero cost of incremental. I just put a little website together, put a calendar on and said, I'm just going to teach swim lessons. Charge 15 bucks a half hour. So I'm making 30 bucks an hour. I thought, you know, at 16, 17, you're killing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that became bigger. And then we started hiring out swim teachers, other guys from the swim team, and we'd pay them off the top. And <laughs> we're paid no taxes on any of it, all cash in my backyard, probably like the most liable operation ever but <laughs> you know 10 years ago in midwest united states it wasn't a big deal probably now you have to sign waivers and i don't know yeah well going back to your parents what are the things and the values that they instilled in you obviously hard work and drive and determination but what are the things that uh they also instill in you on top of those things growing up yeah i think um definitely hard work and drive right but mm -hmm. The other thing that, that was really interesting, uh, and I think it, it was easier to teach in this environment that I grew up in where my family clearly had an abundance, uh, but we weren't in an environment that was all of abundance. Uh, we were in a normal town. Uh, it wasn't one of those things where, you know, you, you see these schools where every kid drives a Range Rover to school or something. It wasn't like that at all. It was, you know, just the local truck, a lot of hicks, a lot of country, uh, just normal folk. And uh, it was really evident and they instilled in me really early. Hey, our story, your dad and I is not your story. <laughs> this is not your life. Mm. We, we provide, we, we have these awesome experiences as a family because your dad's put this time and we've built this together, but you got to figure your own crap out and whatever you want to do, you can do, but we don't expect this from you or this from you. And you'll never work for us. That was very finite. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I think sometimes we, unfortunately, I, I have friends or I'm sure you do too, where a lot of their life is built on the expectations of parents or mentors or whatever that are maybe outside what they should do or where their true alignment is. And one of the things I'm most grateful for my parents, even though in their success, they, it could have very easily been one of those things like, hey, we did this, you should, you should follow this line. And it just wasn't. They're just, mm -hmm. hey, you do you. We're going to support you. Here's principles of faith and discipline and hard work. But if you want to be a teacher, great. If you want to go be a businessman, great. If you want to be a doc, great. If you want to be a lawyer, great. But this is what it actually takes. There was no facade. 
There was no, hey, you're going to be the all-state athlete. You say you're going to be, you're going to go to college like you want to, to play sports without putting all this extra time in. And so it was, it was a very robust home. We we're very open communicators. Yeah. Uh, and I, that developed me a lot. I think that ability to be extremely self-aware. My mom was kind of in our face. Hey, you think you're good? You're not that good yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, but yeah, you're, you're speaking a little bit of truth, but at the same time, encouraging and supporting you, right? Totally. Yeah, so I love that. I love being able to see back into kind of what your life was like within your parents and ha- them having the the ability and the foresight to instill love and support, but also a little bit of discipline and, and hard work and, and just kind of always encouraging you to do what you feel led to do rather than what they maybe want to push people to do. I feel like that's a big thing for really, really a lot of parents right now is, is you don't have to push your kids to do everything, right? you can encourage them, support them, and then see where they go with their gifts, talents, and abilities. And as they step into new things, you know, people can always pivot into different things, right? And jump into totally. You're always learning. You're always growing, right? 100%. And I think that platform that I was built on ended up kind of being what helped me launch into my professional career. Right out of high school, I went on a mission trip for my church for two years. So went to Mexico, went to Las Vegas, just served for two years. I took a hiatus, uh, put some college offers on hold. It was a big choice, but it was something that combined with the hard work and the things that I had learned as a kid. And then this decision for me, no one else to go just serve in a faith-based environment for two whole years. I wrote an email to my family. That was it. That was the only communication I had one email a week for two years. And Seven days a week, just hustled 6.30 to 10.30 every night. We were just working with people in the community. I learned Spanish fluently. My assignment was the Hispanic community. So for two whole years, I was just serving, just serving every single day, 6.30 a.m. to 10.30 p.m. We were just teaching about the Lord and Savior. We were just doing whatever service work anybody would give us. It didn't matter. Whatever it was, we did it for free. We lived in the ghetto. I mean, we, I had like a, my allotment was $120 a month. Yeah. And so I just learned to be extremely diligent and deliberate. And then by the end of the mission, I was running, I was helping run the mission. So I was over 230 other young adult missionaries. Mm. And I think that was when I first understood the, the real leadership things that I took into my professional career and helped build that foundation. Just being in the details and the lives of those people that you're serving and that it's, it's not about getting production, not about getting results from them. It's about understanding how their goals, their mission, their faith aligns with the purpose of the organization or whatever it is that they're a part of and how you can help connect those dots for them to go achieve their fullest potential in their roles. Um, and those lessons, invaluable to me. And that time, obviously, probably the hardest I've ever worked in my life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no days off for two years and then came back, I think the foundation with my family and that mission kind of supercharging it a little bit and really rooting me in just a little bit different, right? I think a lot of 19, 21 year old kids are, Hey, how do I spend my summer? How do I enjoy these last few moments of before I'm supposed to be an adult where I had spent two years with families in in any type of situation where I'd seen, you know, how alcohol affects, how divorce affects, how poverty affects. I, I had seen the effects long-term of decisions that people make early 
And that stuck with me really hard. And I'd also seen where my family was and I'd seen the decisions that they made and the health and the life and the choices that they made and, and the difference, the huge, huge difference of those decisions over a long period of time. So the second I got home and went to college, my only goal freshman year, I'm at BYU in Utah, was by the time I leave this university, I'm going to know exactly where I need to go. I'm going to be ready. Like I, there's, there's no question I'll be able to take care of myself. I'll have a job. I'll be connected. I'll, I'll be steady. I'll be financially secure, ready to go and, and have my plan together. You know, two things that come to my mind, two questions I have. First, going back to your mission, when you're thrust into a leadership role of over 200 kids or people, uh, young leaders, right? Was that something that was uncomfortable for you? You know, that one actually wasn't. Uh, I think because of how fast paced, how high into, like in, in what it meant to me, mm -hmm. it was just so important that we got the, the role done. And, and I, sometimes I think people view leadership and I think this is where we get wrong, right? It's this pedestal. It's this, oh, I hope I get to be in this position to, to be looked at as that person. That's not leadership at all. There's titles to leadership, but leadership is influence. Leadership is the ability to persuade and get others to do for themselves more than you can do alone. And what I was there to do in that two years was just so important to me that what we wanted to accomplish obviously needed every, every single person of the 230. And so it was just, it was a lot less of thoughts of like, oh, how can I say the right thing in front of these people when I'm training and how can I be impressive and how can I make sure I'm articulate and whatever and wow people and more of just how do we make sure everybody has the skills? How do we make sure they know we love them? How do we make sure that they know the people they're serving fell love? And I think when you, you start with that end goal in mind of what are you actually hoping to serve or deliver to the audience so that they can go execute and level up, the, the anxiety, the pressure of the role kind of dissipates. Yeah, I love that. And also, too, one thing that you touched on is you're going there to serve a mission. So you're serving. So that's a part of leadership, right? Leadership is service. And so you're doing totally. that alongside the people that you're leading. So that incorporated, I, I believe, really helps make people want to listen to what you have to say instead of you just sitting on the sidelines, just letting them do it. So I think that's one thing that's pretty important. Another thing you said, you talked about getting to see situations where people maybe made some not so wise decisions that affected the outcome of where they were going, right? So I think that is a great education, especially at such a young age, right? <laughs> Incredible. But what do you think enables people to make wise decisions in their life moving forward? Like, how do you go and process through making wise decisions in your opinion? Yeah, I, I think uh, exposure is huge. Hmm. Um, and, and you could see it, right, as I, I'd come in, in my mission, and then as I've gone in my professional career, where I'm hiring sales reps and training sales reps to produce high, high level incomes maybe came from a small town, maybe came from a family where no one's ever made over 50, 60,000 bucks in a year. Um, it's the same thing. Sometimes, unfortunately, it, it's not that anyone has less potential or less IQ or less ability to go be this faith-filled person or be this high income earner or be this amazing leader in their circle. Sometimes they're just never exposed to people that are. 
And so it's just, it's totally outside their belief system. Mm-hmm. I, I can't, it's like, if you never saw an apple fall from a tree, you might not understand or ever begin to understand gravity, right? Like yeah. if, if you never saw somebody play at a certain level in sports, you might not know that that level of athleticism exists to push to that level. And I think sometimes, unfortunately, in certain communities, there's just a lack of exposure. I think that gap is closing big as mm-hmm. social media and the internet. I think the excuse for lack of exposure is less because <laughs> yeah. uh, you can find it through podcasts and books and audiobooks and online and you know YouTube, you can learn anything. But there's so much time where that, that was the case, right? Where if you couldn't get it in front of you, you couldn't have it. But now it's not so. And I think that's why we're seeing this economic development, the great resignation of people who are like, wow, I've never met billionaires or millionaires or all of these unbelievable people of success, but I can go on YouTube and hear everything that they have to say and get the same thing as if I was their friend. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's a great point. Being exposed to people that are a little bit ahead of you, I think is really important getting a chance to learn from people. And sometimes we don't know what we don't know until we are in front of it. Right. And so, yeah, I think that's a really important thing and seeing people that are making wise decisions and learning from them and then making the choices that enable us to go where we want to go. So I love that going in back in your story a little bit. You said you go, went to college at BYU. You kind of yep. made some decisions. You knew that you were going to do this, this, and this when you came out of school. So what was yeah. it like going to BYU? Why did you go to BYU? Were you going for football? Is that correct? Yeah. You're a good athlete, but talk a little bit about <laughs> that. Yeah, so I was going there. Uh, obviously, biggest intent to play. Um, it gotten hurt in high school, so a lot of my opportunities through scholarships was relation, but – Went, met with the team, those stuff said, hey, we get to these metrics. Like, yeah, we'd like like you to walk on, but it was going to take another season to do it. Um, so freshman year of college, I've got one whole year, obviously from a mission. I was tiny. You know, my college or my high school coach is calling me, hey, you don't look like the kid that we're talking to these team. You know, <laughs> you're, uh, you're about half the size of the, the person that we told them you were. <laughs> <laughs> so I was living on beans and chicken for two years, you know, and little yeah. Latin community. <laughs> Uh, so I obviously lifted and I was like, okay, Hey, this next year, get back in shape, get back to speed. Um, and as well, just looking at every opportunity I could before the next fall for the season, uh, long story short, ended up stumbling upon this whole sales world. That's just super prevalent in Utah. And I have a summer between my freshman and sophomore year before I need to come back and found Vivint the company that I still work for today. And it, it was funny I think they have a lot of young guys come in and, and they meet all these people. And I came in and I, they're, they're showing me the progression and I'm looking at, I'm looking them up online. It's this billion dollar company and they're selling all this stuff. Wow, that's pretty crazy. It's pretty cool. And they've got this opportunity in California for the summer to go be like a sales intern basically. And they're telling me, Hey, you could make $20,000 if you're, if you're like average or pretty good. I'm like, dude, there's no freaking way, man. They're like, <laughs> They're like, so you want to know? I'm like, dude, I, why would anybody not? You know, I'm from the Midwest. If you told me I could have made 20000 bucks doing anything in a summer, I would have been like, dude, I shoveled manure. I, yeah. I, I taught swim lessons for every single day and didn't even get close to that. And so right then and there, I, I went in. I was like, hey, I want to meet with the VP. So they let me meet with the VP. Said, hey, take me to accounting. Went into finance. I said, hey, I want to see everybody in the company makes over hundred grand. So they literally just pulled up all the stuff I said, I want to see everybody who makes half a million. And they just pulled it up. And I'll see everybody who makes over a million. 
and they pulled it up. And inside this organization, non-ownership, non-executive level, just sales positions, there was 30 people who made over a million dollars. And so in my head, I think some people, the, the problem, there's like two things that happens when you're exposed to success. It's the cards were in their favor. Those aren't mine. That's not possible. Those are special. Or that can be replicated. I'm next. I need to meet this person. I need to find out how. <laughs> and it's really just one or two. Unfortunately for myself, I'm the, I'm the second. So I saw this. I'm like, hey, I told the VP, I'm like, I'll be here till I'm done with school at least. I'll be here for five years. I'll be the best guy. Yeah, I'll retire you. And he laughs. He's like, there's, yeah, whatever, whatever. Yeah, I think everybody says that. Now as I've come into the elite, I, I get why they were a little more weary because people aren't quite as committed. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> went out had a really great first summer and did well enough where had a year off, obviously two years off where I decided, Hey, you know, actually I'm not sure that I want to go play. Um, ended up having a lot of conversations and prayer and thought with my parents and kind of just, Hey, if I really take this for the next four years while I'm going to school versus two, two, two credits of practice yeah. and 10 credits of whatever, as I'm just trying to make sure I get on the field, we're going to be in completely different worlds by the time I'm out of here and I'm not going to the league. Right. (laughs) And so, and ultimately my, my decision to play was more rooted in pride of being able to say, Hey, I'm good enough to be here. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was very humbling experience in life to say like, Hey, I don't need that to be me uh, to have an identity. I don't, I don't have to be an athlete. I can be athletic and have that as a hobby, but I don't have to be in the light. Sure. But I do have to provide for my family in some way, shape or form, and it's not going to be football. So why don't I just lock this in right now? Yeah. And I love that. And going back a little bit to, you know, that first year and getting a chance to talk to the VP, like what made you say, Hey, I want to talk to the VP and I want to get to know everyone who's making this. Like, how did you have the innate ability or, or insight to say, this is what I want to know. How can I connect to these people? Yeah, that, no, that's a super good question. Um, I'm a huge reader. I've, pr- I've read probably a book a week in high school. I read a ton too. I was reading just, you know, whatever, fantasy, sci-fi, whatever. And then as soon as I got off my mission, I had studied so much scripture on my mission, so much scripture. I'd studied the apostles intimately. I'd studied the, the life of Christ. I'd studied, you know, the prophets of the Old Testament, the books that they wrote and the way that they led people. And that was such a part of who I'd become to understand the systems, to understand what makes these things ticks. How are these organizations set up so that they're actually successful long-term and why do they fall apart? Right. Why did the church fail? Why did the apostles get killed off? What, what was lacking? Was it outside? Was there a lack of structure? What was it? Right. Mm-hmm. So as I came in, that was kind of just the way I became wired. As I started reading after my mission it was all finance based. It was all economics. It was all leadership. It was all infrastructure based. Um, and so I, I, you know, I'm reading Elon Musk, I'm reading Ray Dalio, I'm reading anything I can about people who've built massive organizations. And that was just in my head, what I understood of, if I'm going to optimize an opportunity, then I need to know the people who built it. If I want to know where it's going, because there's a lot of opportunities. And I think the further you go in business, and you can probably relate to this, there's, there's a lot of people that are the next thing right in their head and they'll tell people whatever it takes to bring them on um, but sometimes 
it's six months and they're out. And then that whole ship just gets left out and see. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to know, Hey, is this leadership team, is this somebody that's right or dies? Like, are they, are they committed to taking this thing to the next level? Like I'm being told they are. Yeah. Is, is the incomes, is the infrastructure, is the product development, the R and D, the customer support is the enterprise value of this company. If I attach myself to it, a real thing, like, do we own any of the data? Do we, do we have any actual valuation here or am I just on a sales floor that could make great money, but there's no long-term play here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. And you know, one thing too, I think when we're talking about you having the initiative to go ask these questions and meet with these people, I think many people would definitely shy away from that, especially early on, not even being in the company. Um, and I think that's something too, for a lot of people, if you can take off maybe that, that wall, right, take it down and then go try to meet with the people. Because a lot of people are a little more approachable than you would think. Sometimes they're not, but you just kind of have to, to keep moving on and, yeah. and ask the next person. But I think that's a really powerful thing in your story where you're willing to go meet with the right people and ask the right questions. And you weren't necessarily afraid of doing that. So, Yeah. And I, I think you realize, too, a lot of those dogs in business or life, sports, whatever, they respect the guy. Because at one point they were the kid asking questions. They mm-hmm. they were yeah. the player that sought the, the coaches extra hours after practice. They they were the one who said, I I don't care if this offends you. I don't it's this is authentically me trying to be the best that I can. And people feel that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. So talk about, you know, getting out of college and then being fully immersed in work. Yeah. So over the next couple of years, I, I get into management. Um, I'm sitting down with my academic advisor at one point and I actually never even finished, uh, going into year three, I made this decision. I'm like, Hey, we're in a position, you're making a couple hundred thousand bucks and I'm going to school for accounting. I'm not really sure that accounting is going to do this for me. <laughs> and my, my academic advisor is super cool. He, he just says like, Hey, dude, you're totally right. And I don't know the university endorses that or whatever, but yeah. I, I have, I have money set aside to go back one day and finish probably won't be accounting, probably just be maybe theology or something just for me. But mm-hmm. I, I, and I think that's a big thing too, is I truly believe, and this is one of the best pieces of advice I've been given. My dad has told me this and he works with some of the best financial authors in the world. You know, he, he publishes financial gurus worked with Tony Robbins, some of these big, huge names. And he says, I truly believe everybody in life has five to 10 opportunities, every single person. It's just some people won't recognize it and take it. And some people will take all of them. And some people will take one, but five or 10 life changing opportunities will be presented to you. And I believe that this was one of my first ones where I just said, Hey, this right now is an amazing vehicle. And I'm going to be extremely frugal in this time and put all of this amazing money that I'm earning away at a young time, which is what led me to real estate and the decision to do that because, Hey, this shit might not be here forever, but right now it is in the next five to 10 year horizon. It looks like it's going to explode and it's going to be the same, but I don't want to live in this. I want to live for the next 10, but that academics, while I want to do it, it's hindering my ability to be all here. Mm. Like my ability to study, focus, develop my employees, develop myself, develop my business, develop my network. 
I just didn't have time to spend 30 hours a week on essays and writing stuff and research and showing up to class. And so that was my, my first, I feel risk opportunity that I took and it's, it's paying off, <laughs> but that, that piece of advice, it, it resonated with me as I made that decision and kind of contemplated that, uh, thought was just, Hey, if I go all in, how do I weigh this? How do I mitigate the risk? school and so much of the decisions we make are based off of what we feel society will think of it but as you get older and older and older the only thing anybody really cares about at the end of the day is you know are you taking care of your family and yourself are, are you fulfilled and happy right like do you have control in the way that you want to control things and if you make a million bucks shoveling manure or you make a million bucks on wall street like the level to provide for your family is is equivalent yeah yeah, I love that. And I love the advice that you shared because that is something and and the way you just talked through that is really important too because it helps see how you process and discern uh, those decisions as well. Which goes back to being able to learn from the people back when you're on your mission uh, about making wise decisions. And obviously you have great parents that, that really want to help and encourage you and support you to help kind of uh, you alongside that as well. So I think that's really important. But one of the things I really want to dive into because in your story, you get to see that you've been able to be highly successful in, in the business that you're in, but you have that kind of go all in, all in mindset and approach. So that's something that's important I want to talk about. And then I would really like to dive into leadership and management and how you go about that and creating systems and processes, because I know that's really big uh, for you and what yeah. you've done. But how maybe first touch on the all in approach, like what enables you to say, you know what, this is a great, great opportunity. I'm going all in. Yeah, yeah. Uh there's a couple things but first and foremost me for me being able to go all in it's faith um and not just faith in the essence of like oh like god's gonna get it done for me it's it's faith in the essence of hey if i believe i'm doing everything uh that the lord needs me to do grounded in my faith this temporal success money cars homes it doesn't really matter and so i'm just gonna send it and i'm gonna give every ounce of and commitment and talent and, and I'm going to get as resourceful as heck and pray like it all depends on God and work like it all depends on me and just I think it pulls some of the anxiety back I've had conversations with people who aren't quite as faith-based there's just this if I lose my car if I lose my house like my ego my pride my not even and they don't see ego pride my identity is gone but for mm -hmm. me my identity isn't rooted in the things that come from the work that's just, a, it's just a ancillary byproduct of, of what happens as I create financial success. But who I am as a disciple is most important in my a father and a husband. And so it's just, hey, this is great. I really don't have anything to fear because if it got all stripped away, like we're going to figure it out. Yeah. And whatever. So what? <laughs> yeah. I love that. But also just bring that energy and that passion of whatever you're doing, no matter what it is. Uh, having that foundation first and foremost uh, really helps you see the big picture. And so it's easy to get caught up in uh, worldly things whenever we're out and about and, and, you know, money, cars, houses, whatever those things might be for different individuals, but having that foundation, because th those aren't bad, right? But no, yeah, I um, think they're, I love them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, they're not bad things. But having that foundation to have the right perspective is really important. I love that you talked about that. Um, and so I know that's been important to you, but talk a little bit too about your growth as a leader and development yeah. and also management 
and then developing systems to help instill uh, the qualities that you were given and then you were able to enhance as you became a great salesperson and then obviously management as well. Yeah. What, one of the best books I think, and it has, it's actually not meant for scaling, but I've stripped it for scaling and systems and processes is it's a book called nail it then scale it. Um, but it's an entrepreneurship case study of why certain companies and, and startups fail or succeed and how VC money and how investor money a lot of times actually hurts startups ability to succeed. But it's the whole ideal of you just, you collect as much data as you can. You understand, okay, what's actually turning, the, what's moving the needle. And so at first for me, I, I probably say, hey, what's moving the needle? Me creating sales. And then how do I optimize? What are the top activities that create more sales for me? How many people do I need to talk to? How many homes do I need to enter? How many presentations need to be completed? How many systems need to be installed for a certain amount to get stick? What's the study? What's the exercise? What's the routine? And as I optimize myself, right, then it's, okay, I can only do so much here. Now, how do I systematize everything that I'm doing from an A to Z list? Okay, what's the number one most important thing that I understand about this process? How can I script this? And give it to somebody else so that in the next three months, four months, that they can get 60% of these results. And then replicate that. And then, you know, obviously go on one level up of how do I take the guy who gets 100% of the results out of that batch and go say, hey, okay, cool. You're as good as me at that piece. Let's see if you can take this next step. Mm. And I think it's just, it's just that funnel system of recognizing like there is numbers to it, but you just... You go and you have to be really, really committed and the nail it, then scale it kind of thesis is fail, fail cheap and fail fast. So run it, run the program, run the system. If it's not working, if reps aren't sticking, if your, your management platform isn't working, it's not sticking, it's not getting results. And you got to have measurables. You got to understand, you know, you start with just yourself when you're running your business, your company, your job. Hey, what is it that I do that moves the needle? And if I were to remove myself from the situation, what would somebody need to know exactly? Like every single thing they need to do is if they were a five-year-old, because the, it's like the peanut butter and jelly thing we do in school, exactly how they need to do it <laughs> with the ability and freedom to go be themselves though. And if I stepped away, could they pull it off? And if you could step away completely and just be checking in on that system, then you know you got a great system. If it falls apart, scrap it, reset. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that because it's uh, so much about taking the action. Obviously, you're, you're, you're doing things that are measurable. You're creating systems. But at the same time, you're not just, it's not paralysis by analysis. You're not sitting there, oh, is this the right system? right the right system? You're actually creating something and then doing it and then improvising. And it's constantly evolving and building, right? Yeah. And I love that you said that because that, that's everybody's biggest problem. New sales reps, oh, I don't want to go out and talk to my first customer until I have the pitch and the presentation dialed. You won't because you don't know how customers are going to react. You can't feel the pace of you know, their uncomfortableness, their anxiety, their, their inquisition with you. It's like saying I'm going to go be Kyrie Irving by just watching him on videos, right? Like I'm going to have that smooth Good luck. crossover. <laughs> yeah, like you, you have to rep it. You have to go before you're ready. And you, you just got to send it. Execution by far is the biggest thing, but then pulling your pride off of, hey, I'm going to execute and all along the way, I'm going to just get rid of the crap that doesn't 
that doesn't give to us and our purpose and our mission. And I'm going to just stack on anything that amplifies it. Yeah. I love that. No, that's, that's so good. But also too, on the sales side of things, would you say a lot of the people that are coming in to be in a sales role are uh, typically uncomfortable making some of these things like sales calls and, and meeting with people and how every single one of them. Yeah. Every single person. <laughs> okay. Every single person. Yeah. It's, what separates what separates people then what's the separator yeah more a hundred percent it's it's literally just people who execute um i can always tell the guy that's going to be a killer not because he's and everybody thinks it's different everyone thinks oh that you know the charismatic class clown the the quick witty guy is gonna that's your sales guy no when i go and to the first sales appointment and i say hey it's day one you shadowed me. You saw it get done. And this is how we do. I let them shadow for one day. So it's like six hours. They go see me perform and do all this stuff. They have no idea what's going on. And I just kick them out. We just kick them out. We do a lot of training after that, but we can't teach them what they need to know until they realize what they don't know. Mm. And so the ones that are the best hands down every single time, if I drop them off, without hesitation, without anything. By the time I drive away, they roll up to the first door and just knock. They just go for it. And the ones that I always know are going to be a struggle and a pain in the butt are the ones that I drop them off. I'll drive around the block. They'll pull up their iPad. They'll pull out their phone. And it takes them 30, 40 minutes before they even go attempt to talk to somebody. And no matter how charismatic, how intelligent, how whatever, the ones that are just like, frick it let's just see what we can get done today. They're always the most successful. Yeah. So just, the willingness to fail. Yeah. It just the willingness to fail on a bias towards action, taking action. Right. Yep. Yeah. I love that. No, I, and I, I really was interested in what you had to say because you see a lot, a lot, a lot of different salespeople. And so seeing, you know, what one or those one or two of those qualities are, uh, really can make the difference if you just be able to have a little bit of initiative and just go and then understand that I am going to fail no matter what I'm 100%. going to fail at times right but I'm going to learn and grow and it's constantly going to get better and better and better and better and then you can be where Ty Thorne is so <laughs> yeah I, I I say this to the rookies every single year I compare it to running like it, an Olympic marathon runner you just got to start running. And at no point do I believe that any of these guys that are competing at around two hours for a marathon aren't uncomfortable. I think every time they race at that pace, no matter how trained, how conditioned they are, that it hurts like hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's the same. We call it sales conditioning. Like, yes, I'm more comfortable. I'm more prepared than the rookie rep to go take on presentations with strangers and deal with uncomfortable situations and de-escalate spousal interruptions or whatever. But there's still moments of uncomfortableness for me. There's still moments of fatigue. There's still moments of anxiety and questionability and doubt. Just like any top performer, we just have conditioned ourselves to perform through it. I love that sales conditioning. That is, that is uh, amazing. That's a great, great, great quote, quote right there. Um, so really going from sales, uh, we talked a little bit about leadership and systems and developing processes, but also talk a little bit about some of the things that you're doing outside of, of work and investing in real estate, because I think that's really yeah. important um, as well. 
it, absolutely. I, I think, unfortunately, there's a terrible, terrible culture in sales. A lot of guys make great money and uh, they light it on fire. So um, one of my biggest things, just it, as I started my journey, I was extremely deliberate with kind of the end of where do I want to be in 5, 10, 15, 20 years? And that's something every single morning I write down my top 10. So fresh, fresh of mind every single morning on a notebook paper, the 10 most important conquerable things. And they're short, mid, long, like they're kind of just the 10 things that hit the list of my life must have this. Um, and I think it's more powerful than like a goal sheet that you did one time in your moment of hype after a meeting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because it, it, it makes you really process and be self-aware. But from the get-go, I was really aware, hey, I'm going to go make great money. I'm going to build this. I'm going to scale this. But I'm going to put myself in a position where, you know, 10, 5, 15 years in, I'm not going to have to continue to do this to sustain my lifestyle. I'm going to use this vehicle and I'm going to multiply this income. I'm going to diversify it and spread it. I'm going to make sure that this active income that I'm busting my ass for doesn't just wither away into depreciating assets or depreciating liabilities, that it's going to continue to build wealth and provide for me, my family, and the things down the line should this opportunity. Because the biggest, the biggest hiccup everybody has is they just think the faucet's never going to turn off. Yeah. They just, you know, the recession's never going to hit. You know, I, my business is, is impenetrable. My, my job is so secure. You just don't know. Yeah. The, the economy, the market, it's changing so fast in so many different ways. New technologies could obsolete your entire, your entire system. So what are you doing right now to make sure that your level of lifestyle is sustainable over the next five, 10 years? And so for me, real estate was where I, I fell. So I, I bought my first rental property at 21, house hacked my first home and made enough money, brought it in, brought some college roomies in and they paid my rent and all this stuff. And that kind of got me excited. Hey, this is pretty sweet. Like I'm raising money. The equities increased. It was in a growing market. I was reading all these books and it also motivated, motivated me at work. Then I saw how my money you know, doubled inside this building that I didn't have to work on all the time. I said, hey, well, what if I go make more here and take 80% of it and dump it into more and more and more? Where could I be in 10, 15 years if I just dumped you know, 5 million bucks into, into these assets and just let them ride? And that was, as I started, just like in sales, as I got there and started wanting to scale my team and scale and grow leaders and build bigger in my business, I've gotten to this point where I've, I've wanted to scale my investment portfolio. And I've, instead of, you know, whatever crazy stuff I could buy, I'm, I get excited about, hey, what's, what's the next multi-unit deal we can do? Hey. Now I'm getting into this, you know, bringing in investors and syndicating deals and possibly starting a fund to go take on bigger and bigger things. And my exposures increase as I've gotten into that world and the conversations are bigger, realizing those deals are just numbers and a, a good project never goes unfunded. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I love, I think the question that you said is really important for everyone to ask, you know, what are you doing with what you have? Where do you want to be in five, 10, 15 years? And how are you making sure that when, whenever that faucet turns off, if it ever does, you're well prepared and you have a solid foundation for, for where you're at. But also too, how can you invest the money that you are actively making and turn it into passive income? I think that is such a profound statement that many people I don't think get exposed to sometimes. And so if you can think and understand what that looks like in your life, 
no matter how much money you're making, take some set aside and turn it into an asset that is going to create passive income for you, right? Because just like anything else, it's taking that first step, having a little bit of action, and it can consistently will grow, compound, and build. There might be some failures along the way, but you learn yeah. from it and you keep moving on. And it's going to put you in a much better place, eventually more of a long-term perspective, maybe than a short-term, but having the wherewithal to think and ask those questions and then take the action to make it happen. Absolutely. I, I think that exposure, and that's become such a big purpose in my life as I've been building teams and doing this. That's why I started the title of my podcast and the mission. I've realized, hey, sales, I have this ability to teach people how to make active income and, and really level up their life. Well, now how do I help people go make sure that they never lose it? <laughs> and unfortunately, I've just realized our country, financial illiteracy is just a massive problem, an unbelievable problem. Schools don't teach it. College doesn't teach it. A lot of workplaces don't give a crap about it. Um, and so it's, it's so important, but it's the money game. Unfortunately, everybody thinks, oh, I'm not a business owner. I don't need to know how revenues and expenses and how taxes work. I don't need to know how appreciating assets work and equity and, and interest rates and all these different things play out. But the reality is everybody is a business owner. You have the business of your home and you have revenue, you have expenses, you have taxes, like you have interest opportunities that you're paying or that you're earning. And so it's just, you have to change the way you think and you got to be continuously learning. And that's one of our big platforms in my teams is how do we make sure everybody now go takes active income and understands the order of operations of money that if you work for it, it's got to go to something else that pays you first. It, it, you can't take money that you worked for that you spent blood, sweat, tears or hours or time or whatever. And you can't go get stuff you want with it. You got to get stuff that pays you for stuff you want for it. It's got to be homes. It's got to be stock portfolios. There's, there's got to be a percentage that's going into a perpetual stream of income. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about leadership and, and that right there shows your leadership as you're not just doing it for yourself. You're not leading for just yourself and your ego. You're trying to invest back in. The, there's no reason that you need to do that with your team members. Right. But you want to help people learn and grow about not just uh, their work, but also their home life and, and how they can raise and build long-term wealth for their families. So I think that's really important. And also going into your podcast, we'll talk a little bit about that and why in the world did you create the podcast, even though you just kind of <laughs> said the reason for it. So no, yeah. So I, I definitely a goal of mine. It was something I, I consume an unbelievable amount of podcast content every day. Uh, I, I don't really listen to music. I'm in the gym, I'm in the car. I saw a stat and Brian Tracy is a sales leader said, if you listen to audiobooks or podcasts in your car, the average American covers like a two-year degree every single year. Mm -hmm. If you just picked a subject, so you just consume so much. Um, and for me, it was just, it was another medium. It was another way for me to just, a lot of times I'm spending training my team, my reps, and I'm just repeating myself. <laughs> yeah. I was like, how do I, how do I, just quantify and put this library together of all the people that I care about when they ask me, Hey, how do you invest in stocks? How do you do real estate? How do you sell? You know, how do you persuasion? How, who's this story? Tell me about this. What if I can just put this medium together, make it forever. And anybody's just like, Hey, just go listen to this episode. Um, and it serves that purpose to give not only to my team, but also anybody else who, who wants to seek that value. Um, and I enjoy it. You know, it's fun for me. I'm sure just like you, we, we talked about before it's, I get to learn, I get to bring in amazing talent and learn from them as well. But the purpose 
for me, 100%, like the title of my podcast, The Money Game, I think economic self-reliance and independence is one of the most powerful things that you can give people uh, because it teaches you that money isn't everything, but you, you also have to recognize that it's in your control and you think about money differently in those relationships. It, you know, money's the number one cause for divorce. It's number one cause for abuse. It's if we can help people take control of that just by understanding that it's in their, in their control. And a lot of it's just their behaviors, their beliefs and the, the knowledge set they're playing with. That's the mission of it. Just help everybody level up and take control. Yeah, it's a great podcast. Everyone should check it out. But also too, as you're talking about those things, you're talking about being able to, uh, you had a lot of the same conversations. So you decided to put it in a podcast format, basically to let more people hear it, right? That's a great time management skill that you talked about early on when you're trying to scale your business as a lawn mowing, right? You're, you're thinking yeah. in terms of scale because you don't have enough time to do all that. So how can oh. you think about, if anyone listening, how can you think about what you're doing currently and how can you be more efficient, uh, really reach a lot of the same people that you'd reach anyway, but also be very efficient and, and think about time in a different way. So I love that. That's just what came to my mind when you're talking about that. Um, and as we, I, I want to get you out of here on time, but as we kind of wind down, I've got a little fire round. I'd love real quickly. The last question before we dive into the fire round is what do you, I mean, you're recently a, a new dad. So talk yeah. a little bit about what you think being a good husband and father means. Oh, I'm probably so far. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I think a lot of the same principles apply. Uh, it's just that service, um, the true intent to not be the winner, not be the provider, not be anything, but recognizing, Hey, how can I give and benefit this, this, my spouse as much as possible? How can I, help her fulfill her dreams and her roles as a mother and as my spouse and, and whatever work options or careers that they choose. And then especially with a daughter, um, that's a whole another game of when they're young, they're just sponges. And so it's really hit me deep and hard of, Hey, you know, the music I listen to in the home, the, the, the books I read in the home, the TV we watch in the home, the conversations we have out loud, the faith we actually practice is her foundation. And I think just being the best that you can be for yourself and for them is going to enhance all these relationships. And unfortunately, I think being the best also, you, you got to be willing to challenge each other um, in a robust or respect, respectful way. But a lot of people aren't willing to have the hard conversations. Hey, this bugs me. Um, I appreciate this, this, and this, but like that hurt my feelings um, to just be really transparent in business and in your your relationships, radical transparency is going to solve way more problems than not not bringing it up. Yeah, no, that's that's great stuff. Well, real quickly, uh, we have a fire round, so I'll say the sentence, and you can finish in a word or a sentence, however you feel led. You can do anything okay. if. Oof! If you execute consistently. Intentionality means. Deliberate attack over time. Favorite vacation spot. Oh. Oh. Um, so far, probably Thailand. Awesome. Grit means. Doing 
all of the stuff that nobody else likes to consistently. Favorite professional experience? Uh, honestly, probably for people who haven't, don't work for me anymore. I've gotten some messages back, some cool stuff. A couple of different employees who have become top performers in their space or gotten promoted just because of the stuff they learned with us. That's great. It all comes down to. <sighs> Intentionality. Gotcha. We're done with the fire round. You've kind of already answered uh, one of the questions about the best piece of advice, but uh, this podcast is called Building Excellence. What does building excellence mean to you? Pursuit. Just endless pursuit. There, there is no plateau. There is no arrival. It's, it's about the process and, and not in like the cliche way, but if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. There is, there is no stagnant. Yeah, that's great. Well, Ty, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for sharing uh, your stories to the lessons that you've learned. I mean, there's so many great, impactful things you talked about today. And, you know, if anyone wanted to listen to your podcast, The Money Game, how do they do that? How do they follow you on social? What's the best way to do that? Yeah, Ty Thorne on Instagram. And then uh, the podcast, The Money Games on Apple, Spotify, and other platforms. You can just search it, The Money Game with Ty Thorne. Yeah, awesome. Well, Ty, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure, man. Hey everyone, it's Bailey Miles. Thanks again so much for tuning in. We hope you found value in the show. And if you enjoyed it, we would really appreciate you sharing the show with a friend, subscribing on Apple or Spotify podcast, writing a quick review, or leaving a five-star rating. When you do that, it really helps get the message out and allows more people to hear these stories and help them build excellence in their life, leadership, and legacy. If you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me via email. It's bailey at baileymiles.com. Follow us on social. We're on all the different social platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Or check out our website at baileymiles.com. Once again, I'd love to hear from you, so definitely do that. And then thanks again for joining me on this journey. And remember, life begins at the end of your comfort zone.